But praise be to God that daily, because of God's spirit in me, that I have a growing desire to love the Lord our God with all of our, my, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And today we're going we're gonna to talk about um, Jesus' final words to Peter, those profound words that he said three times, uh, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And we're, gonna, we're actually going to flush out a little bit, but God willing, what that actually looks like. What does love and action look like? And when we do sin, and, when, and we will sin, um, what do we do with that? And even as I was between services, I was think, God brought three words to mind for me, and, and that, that, um, that uh, we can be immobilized by our sin. Um, the Spirit of God convicts us, and when the Spirit of God convicts us, it can immobilize us. That's called condemnation. Or it can stabilize us and, um, uh, and, and mobilize us. So, so conviction or condemnation can immobilize us, uh, but conviction is designed to, uh, to, uh, to mobilize us and stabilize us. And I'll try to, I'll try to um, break that down a little bit more for you as we go through this. But let me ask you a couple questions up front. Are you all in with Jesus? And if you answer yes to that, how do you know that? How do you know you're all in with Jesus? Is it because you read your Bible every day? You come to Sunday services here or somewhere else? You're part of a community group? Maybe you pray occasionally, that's great. But and there's no judgment on any of that, it's all good stuff. But how do you know that you're all in with Jesus? And maybe you answer that question like right away, like, no, I'm not all in with Jesus. Not right now, anyways. What's keeping you from being all in with Jesus? I want to remind you up front that, um, that the enemy, we have an enemy, and it's not humans. We have an ultimate enemy who wants Christians, wants you and I to take our eyes off of Jesus, that wants to uh, take our eyes off of God's character and his promises and his faithfulness, and we have an enemy who wants us to focus on our mistakes and compare ourselves to others. So my prayer is no matter what your past is of yesterday or yesteryear that you would leave here with a greater desire, wherever your desire is at, a greater desire and resolve to follow Jesus wherever he leads. I thought it'd be good if we're going to talk about Peter and Jesus' interaction to do a little bio sketch on Peter. Uh, most of us know Peter's reputation. Um, when I do weddings, one of the, the, the funnest part of the wedding for me is, is that um, I actually interview the, the bride and the groom, and I, I, I hear their story. I learn their story. And then um, as I'm marrying them, I tell the audience the story so they feel like they really know them and they can engage in the ceremony. So I think it's good to know who we're talking about. So who's Peter? Um, Peter, his name is mentioned more times in the New Testament than anybody but Jesus. No one speaks to Jesus as often as Peter speaks to Jesus. And no one speaks to um, Peter as often as Jesus speaks to Peter. He is the acknowledged um, uh, spokesman and leader of the 12 apostles. He was a clear leader in the early church um, after Jesus ascended. And he preached a sermon that 3,000 people were converted Peter was used by the Lord in extraordinary ways, cannot be argued, but he was not necessarily an extraordinary man. In fact, he was pretty ordinary. 
He was a fisherman by trade. The educated religious leaders in that day described him as uneducated and untrained. He was married. He had a mother-in-law. And he must have liked her because it says that he healed her. Probably on Mother's Day. I'm not sure all of you guys would heal your mother-in-law. He was also pretty honorary and thick-headed. Peter rebuked Jesus when Jesus told Peter and the disciples that he was going to lay his life down and be killed. Peter couldn't stay awake for one hour while Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Judas brought the soldiers and the religious leaders to arrest, uh, uh, when Peter, when, yeah, Judas brought them to arrest Jesus, Peter whacked off a man's ear. Finally, a proud and overconfident Peter said, I will follow you to the death, Jesus. And Jesus says, not only will you not follow me to the death, but you will deny knowing me, not once, not twice, but three times. And as we're going to see today, that Peter did in fact deny denying knowing Jesus. He denied that he had any association with Jesus three different times. So ordinary, ornery, imperfect Peter brings me encouragement. And my prayer is that he would bring you encouragement as well. In spite of Peter's imperfections, Jesus handpicked him to be one of his followers. And he handpicked Peter to be used in significant ways to expand his kingdom. We want to be reminded of that this morning, that if you know Jesus Christ, that he handpicked you in all of your imperfections to be one of his followers. And that he continues to want to use you as a follower to expand his kingdom in spite of your current imperfections. Peter was given, Peter's given name was Simon, the son of John, or the son of Jonah. And like all of us, before we met Jesus, Simon was living for his own agenda. He was building his own kingdom. He was living the Galilean dream. And the very first time that Jesus met Peter, Peter didn't become a follower then, but this is what Jesus said the first time they met. In John chapter 1, Jesus looked at Peter, or Simon, and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is Aramaic Aramaic for Peter or rock. Jesus changed Simon's name, it appears, because he wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder to him of who he is and how that would inform his actions. And that's the same for us today. Even though my name hasn't changed, the old Dan is gone. And the new Dan, God willing, and by God's power, is peeking through. And it's the same for you. A couple of months later after this encounter where Jesus had a a brief encounter with Peter and said that you'll no longer be called Simon, but Peter, Peter had a life-changing moment with Jesus that changed the trajectory of his life forever. We talked about it last week, but it's important enough, I'm going to go over it again today. It's Luke chapter 5. And what's happening here is that Jesus is on the shore and he's preaching to the crowds and the crowd is pressing in, it says, and so Jesus actually hopped on a boat and pushed the boat out to sea and had like a floating platform, a a floating pulpit, and continued preaching. And um, Jesus told Peter after he was done preaching to throw the net off the side, and Peter did, and the disciples did, and they pulled in the largest catch they'd ever had. And Peter fell down and said, Lord, I'm not worthy 
And then Jesus said to Simon, Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. They left everything. This is important, that they gave up everything. They were, they were, this was their job. They gave it all up. And this isn't um, instructive for you all to like quit your jobs and go um, follow Jesus somewhere. Um, he might be calling you to that. But it's a call to follow him and be willing to give up anything he asks you to give up. Last week, we looked at, um, we took, took a look at uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples and Thomas. And then we saw that um, Jesus appeared to the disciples in Galilee. Um, so it was about 10 to 14 days after the tomb was found empty. The disciples left Jerusalem. They headed 70 miles north to the Sea of Galilee, where they had first met and encountered Jesus three years earlier. And they had left everything to follow him. And they were sitting there. I've got this picture, as I shared last week. They're sitting there on the shore of Galilee, and the day is getting long. And fishing time is nighttime in that culture. And they're talking about everything that happened. Can you imagine uh, being here 10 to 14 days um, after all that happened Passover week? That Jesus was arrested. Peter cut off the servant's ear. Peter denied Jesus three times. The bloody crucifixion. The empty tomb. Jesus walking through the wall and appearing to them in Jerusalem. And they're sitting there on the beach going, what in the heck happened? And what's next? Then all of a sudden, while they're sitting there, Peter blurts out, I'm going fishing. And the disciples, the other disciples said, I'm going with you. I'm going, I'm going with you. And as they're out there, as, they're, as uh, they fished all night, the sun is starting to peek through. And somebody from the beach yells, have you caught anything? And they yell back, no, we've caught nothing. And the man on the beach told them to try throwing their nets off to the right side of the boat. So they threw their nets off to the right side of the boat, and they caught many large fish, 153 to be exact. And this is a deja vu kind of moment. You can imagine, this happened before. Same place, same boat, same circumstances, and it clicks in John's head. And John looks at Peter. He says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And immediately we know what Peter did. Naked Peter put on some clothes. He dove in the water. He swam to shore. He got to shore about the same time the boat got to shore. He encountered Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, bring me some fish off the boat. And Jesus was sitting around a charcoal fire. In a, the same type of charcoal fire that Peter was sitting around when he denied Jesus in Jerusalem. And this picture, I want to bring you back to it from last week, and, if, and I'd encourage if you missed it, listen to it again. But this picture, there's so much um, imagery in Scripture. There's so much that we can learn, not only from the words, but from the imagery. And this picture of the disciples, um, lonely, destitute, wondering what their life would look like if they'd even see Jesus again. They're on their boat fishing. And the sea is always a metaphor of life for the Christian. If you know anything about life, if you know anything about the sea, you know why that's a metaphor. The sea is unpredictable. The tide goes in and out. Um, it's sometimes still, it's sometimes stormy. 
And this was a beautiful picture of the disciples on the boat having no success with Jesus on the firm shore of eternity, seeing them and caring about them and directing them. And then secondly, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus standing on the shore of eternity waiting for us. Waiting for us where we will we'll be, where he's got the wedding feast prepared for us. So that brings us to today's passage, verses, starting in verse 15. After breakfast, they all sat around the charcoal fire, and Jesus turned and spoke to Peter. And it's what he didn't say to Peter, actually, that strikes me the most. Maybe it's my upbringing, I don't know. Maybe it's my background. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But Peter and Jesus had not talked about Jesus denying him three times. Jesus didn't know where, or Peter didn't know where he stood. He didn't know where he stood with Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of background. I think the context is helpful. You know the story, but let's actually read it. Several months before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples that in a little while, I'm going away. And then in John chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. And that what, what Jesus was saying is that you can't follow me, you're not going to follow me to death now, but you will die for me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I believe Peter meant it. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. Peter I'm certain, thought this would never happen. He would never deny knowing Jesus, the one whom he loved, the one who he gave up everything to follow. That is until the night Judas led the authorities to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22. Then they seized Jesus and they led him away, bringing him back into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, this man was also with Jesus, but he denied it. And he said, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with Jesus, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I want you to see this, that Peter is following Jesus at a distance. And that Peter is apparently sitting in a proximity where he's got his eyes on Jesus from a distance and Jesus somehow saw Peter right after the, right after the rooster crowed. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, 
before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter, the one who said, I will follow Jesus to the grave, the Peter, the one who was willing to take on all the soldiers in defending Jesus, was now following at a distance and denying his leader and his friend not once but three times. I'm capable of that. You're capable of that. And Peter, no doubt, had to wonder what his relationship with Jesus would look like going forward. He may have even recalled Jesus' words to Peter and the disciples several months earlier, as documented by Matthew in Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Peter had to be sitting there, what does that mean for me? Am I done? Is Jesus done with me? What, might, what will my relationship be like with Jesus going forward? Will he forgive me? Will he still use me? Or worse, will I suffer the same fate as Judas? Peter may have been in the same place that some of you may be in today. Whether it be your sin of this morning, yesterday, last week, or maybe of the sin that's haunting you from 30 years ago. You're in a place of guilt, shame, condemnation. Maybe you're feeling like a hypocrite. That's the one that gets me. Is that uh, being a Peter type guy in my flesh that when oftentimes like when I, when I have a moment where I might bark at Nancy, I might have a wrong thought about somebody and then I've got to go, I, I go share the gospel with somebody or, or on Sunday I get up and I do this and the enemy's just lying like who do you think you are? Don't you just know what you did? God will never use you. God will never use a sinner like you. That's the enemy. That's a place of guilt and shame and condemnation. But I want you to get this. We're going to get to a minute what what, um, Jesus said to Peter, but here's what Jesus didn't say to Peter when 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 they sat down. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, some friend you turned out to be. Or Peter, you let me down. Or Peter, you're all talk and no action. Or Peter, you're a coward. Or Peter, boy, was I ever wrong about you. I wish I would have never called you into my kingdom. Peter, you call yourself a Christian? How could you? Worse yet, Peter, you're on your own now. I gave you one too many chances. Instead, Jesus said this, and I've got this as this Dan Hardy picture of my loving Savior. And I can see him just reaching over and grabbing Peter's face and saying to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And Jesus' aim here on the shores of Galilee wasn't to shame or condemn Peter. His goal was to restore Peter, to remind Peter of who he is, no longer the old fleshly Simon, and to empower him to a lifetime of following and serving Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, when Jesus says, Simon Peter, or Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Who are the these? That's a question we got to ask, isn't it? If if he said, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? 
And there's only one of three answers, I think, and I don't know what the right answer is. It could, be, it could mean any of these or all of these. It could be fishing, actually. These, these fish, do you love me more than these fish? His vocation was a fisherman. Do you love me more than your work and your occupation? It could be, do you love me more than your friends? Peter was back on the beach. He was back on the boat with his closest friends, his disciples. Do you love me more than these? It could mean, do you love me more than your friends love me? Peter's been the most vocal about his desire to follow Jesus at any cost, yet the only one who publicly denied him was Peter. Do you love me, Peter, more than these other men love me? And it seems to me that the these that Jesus is asking about, it's all-encompassing. Do you love me more than anything? Do you love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength? It's got a flashback again to Matthew 10 where Jesus said to his disciples and he says to us today, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Peter's love for Jesus is being tested. You see, Jesus, or God never gives us trials. Never, excuse me, he always gives us trials. He never tempts us, but he oftentimes will test us. Peter had boldly declared that he loved Jesus so much that he would die for him. Yet when he was fearful of what the consequences would be for him aligning himself with Jesus, he took the easy, safe, dishonest route. He denied knowing Jesus a total of three times. And then Jesus would ask the same question a total of three times, once for each denial. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says that Peter grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And I believe that Peter was grieved here, not because the Lord asked him three times, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, um, he, that Peter was grieved, not because Jesus kept asking, but because of the reality that he had denied Jesus three times standing around a charcoal fire when Jesus was being slapped and beaten. I want to ask you this this morning. Do you grieve your sin? Do you grieve your sin? We're saved by grace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But do you grieve your sin? And maybe some of you um, grieve it too much where you go to the point of condemnation, but do you grieve your sin? see, this is the way of our loving, patient, and forgiving God. This is the way he works in sanctifying us. When we fail him, he shows us our sin. He, he, it's, called, it's called conviction, and conviction happens when the Holy Spirit brings uh, to mind our sin. 
And conviction should bring momentary grief as we recognize that we've sinned against our God who gave himself up for our sin. And I want to tell you this, conviction is not for the purpose of inflicting pain on the believer, but to relieve our pain. Peter wept bitterly after the rooster crowed and was now grieved at the stark reminder of his denying the one he loved. There's another um, example of this, Neil. There's all kinds of examples throughout Scripture, but there's one famous example, and that's David. Remember David's story. David was a man after God's own heart. David was the king of the modern world in that time. David was a faithful man who loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. David also sinned. He was was a fleshly man. And he committed adultery. He got Bathsheba pregnant. And Bathsheba was married to Uriah. And to cover it up, David, to make things worse, had Uriah killed. And to make things worse, he lied about Bathsheba's pregnant and hid it for months. And that is until his good friend Nathan approached him and told him about his sin. Convicted him of his sin. It was the Holy Spirit doing the work. But the Spirit used Nathan. And I want to read David's response to this in Psalm 51. Because I think it's instructive for us today. This is after the conviction. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What David is saying here, God, that you are justified in whatever you want to do to me. You're justified in that. But he says in verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. What are the bones that have been broken? That's a conviction of sin. When we're convicted, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it should actually hurt. It should grieve us. But then we cry out to the Lord and say, God, the bones that you have broken, Let those bones rejoice again. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a new heart, God, for tomorrow, for next week and next month. Oh, God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, that that is something to celebrate about because we all have blind spots. And it's conviction, it's not condemnation. We should embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit and know that whenever we're convicted, it's for our restoration and it's to remind us of the love of Jesus and to compel us to never give up because our Lord and our God is never and will never give up on you. So conviction should stabilize us and mobilize us, not immobilize us. The man who turned his back on Jesus has now been forgiven by him, and he's also been entrusted with the responsibility to lead others towards Jesus, feeding and shepherding Jesus' sheep. 
Peter's been forgiven. He's been restored. This is grace. This is how God's economy works. He always gives us so much more than we deserve. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And I want to make another observation before we finish up on the last couple of verses. Jesus asked Peter, or Simon, do you love me? He didn't ask, do you promise not to fail me again? Why do you think that is? It's kind of my parenting style. Don't you ever fail me again. Don't you ever do that again. Jesus knew better than to ask that question because of course Peter would fail again. And you will fail again. Love is a desire and a motivation to live a sacrificial and obedient life. And our love for Christ is always motivated and informed by his love for us. If he has your heart, he will have everything else. So now in these final verses, Jesus is now going to describe what love looks like in action. We're going to see Jesus remind Peter of the life of Simon before he was called and the life of Peter that he is now called to. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Jesus is most likely referring to Peter's life before he was saved. Where Peter did what he pleased, he went where he pleased. And it says that you used to dress yourself, and I was just, I was thinking about this, and I'd encourage you to, to, to delve into this deeper, that, that Jesus, uh, Paul in particular, talks about how um, the, the great exchange, right, how Jesus took all of our sin, and that we were clothed of all his righteousness, that the Father no longer sees us as sinful, he sees us through Christ, he sees us as spotless, and Peter used to dress himself. When Peter was an unbeliever, he, just, he did everything he could to be a good Jewish man. He dressed himself in, in, in robes of, of, of uh, righteousness, if you will, of self-righteousness, of obedience to try to um, earn his way to the Father. But when you are old, it goes on to say, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. And what Jesus is saying here is a couple of things. Peter would die a death like Jesus died. He would follow Jesus to the death. He would be killed because he publicly and boldly uh, identified with Jesus Christ. Peter will stretch out his hands and he will be crucified. Tradition says that Peter was crucified. But tradition also tells us that Peter felt unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus Christ, so he asked to be crucified upside down. He stretched out his hands. Now, none of us in this uh, country probably will die because of our faith. So there's, a, there's another um, uh, picture here, I believe, for Peter and for us as we walk this journey as exiles in this foreign land. And this is, all, this is a call to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And you see, when we're following Jesus, we're not always going where we want to go. 
that I would say that if you're always going where you want to go, that you're not following Jesus. Because over my um, lifetime, I look back and I see, wow, I didn't see that coming, God. I wanted to go here. And you told me to go here. And when I go here, I look back and I go, thank you, God. When I didn't go here and I went here, I went, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, God. This is dying to yourself, dying to our selfish desires daily. And he says, I will lead you. And then he says that uh, another will dress you before he says, carry you where you will not want to go. And dressing you is in righteousness. That, that every day we can wake up and know that we are clothed in Christ's righteous robes. That no matter what our sin was of yesterday, no matter what accusations the enemy throws at us, no matter how much we fail, that the Father sees us in the righteous robes of Christ. And what was Peter's response to this? Peter, like all of us, was an imperfect follower. And this gives me encouragement as well. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And I want to just pause just for a minute. I want to be careful here because I want, you, you know this about me. You know this about this church. And I'll say it a million times that this, um, this book is God's word. And every word in it is infallible. It is inerrant. There is no mistakes in it. And all of it points to Jesus Christ. But the men and women that penned the book, they were sinful just like you and I. They didn't make any mistakes because it was the Spirit of God that had them write it. Um, but but there, there are people, I think, that wrote these that, that when we're in heaven, you're going to want to hang out with, and some of them you're not going to want to hang out with. And I want to hang out with Peter. I think Peter and I will get along, especially in an environment where there's no more sin. But I'm not so sure about John. I mean, John had to uh, brag about uh, beating Peter to the tomb in chapter 20, and now John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Why can't he just say me or John? And then furthermore, he says that I was the one that leaned back on Jesus during the supper. And I'm the one that asked good questions. Um, uh, who's going to betray you? That's a side note. Just had to get that off my chest. Like I... Peter's response to this, Peter's response to Jesus saying that when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then he said, follow me, Jesus said. And Peter's response to that was not as you wish, or will you be with me, or will it hurt? His response was, what about John? What about him? What about the braggart? Will I be the only one sacrificing and dying for your sake? What about him? I don't want to be the only one serving and sacrificing. I don't want to do more than my fair share. If other people aren't giving, I don't want to give. If I'm serving more than others, I don't want to serve. Why should I sacrifice when others aren't sacrificing? One thing to know about Peter here is that he is fully loved and he is fully restored, but he is not fully transformed. That's good to know. It's the same thing for you. 
that you are fully loved. You are fully transformed if you know Jesus Christ. But you're not fully transformed. I know most of you. How easy it is for us to become distracted and envious of other people's callings and other people's lifestyles and other people's comforts. In verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he, John, remains until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Don't worry about him. Even if he doesn't pick up his cross and follow me, what is that to you? Follow me. Our calling, our giving, our serving, our sacrifice should not be determined in comparison to other people. It should be motivated and driven by how much Christ has already given, and he's given his all. So your service, your sacrifice, your purity, your given should be um, not driven by what the world says or what other people are doing, but by what the gospel says and what Jesus Christ has already given. It's in response to him. It's always the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God that compels us. And I want to just end on, um, on this. There are two groups of people here today, broad groups of people as there are in, in any environment. One is, is people that have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And the other is, is that those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus and we're wanting to, we're, we're wanting to uh, follow him more diligently and selflessly. So the first group, what qualifies someone to be a follower of Jesus? What qualifies somebody to be a follower of Jesus is that they're a sinner. That's it. It's recognizing that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a savior. You remember Levi, the, the tax collector, who Jesus saw on the side of the road doing his tax collecting? And Jesus said, hey, you pack it up and come follow me. And Levi packed it all in and followed Jesus. And the first thing that Levi did is he went back to his apartment and he invited all the other tax collectors and all the sinners in town. And he invited Jesus to be the guest of honor. And there were Pharisees there. You remember what the Pharisees said? He said, why are you dining with these sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those are sick. I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this Jesus that I described today, in his restoring Peter, if that's a type of ultimate restoration you want, you want rescue from yourself and rescue from your sins, the very first place to start is just to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And for the rest of us, what qualifies us as people who God will use for his glory and to build his kingdom? And I would say this, it's continually acknowledging our sin. It's being willing to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And after that, it's embracing our Savior and expressing to him our heart desire to follow him wherever he leads and it's not letting our sin immobilize us, but it's letting the gospel of Jesus Christ stabilize us 
and mobilize us. I'm going to close on this. That You know the end of the story. You know what Peter did. Peter only went out filled with the Holy Spirit and he preached to the crowds. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people that moment were converted. Then he stood up to Caiaphas, the same Caiaphas that, that, was, um, that was overseeing the jury, if you will, the, 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 the hearing for Jesus. And he stood up to Caiaphas when Caiaphas told him to shut up. And he said, I can't stop talking about what I've seen and heard. That's Peter. And by God's grace, that's us. That's Windsor Community Church. We're going to go out by the power of the Spirit of God, standing firm in the gospel of God, allowing Him to convict us of our sin, and when He does, running back to the cross and shouting from the top of, our, top of the mountain that we have a, a redeeming, restoring, loving God who's waiting for you on the shores of eternity. Let's pray.